WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact, one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Impact Exposure. Right now I'm here with Sarah from the Office of Study Abroad. She's here to talk about the Study Abroad Fair coming up on September 25th and about the Office of Study Abroad. Now what is your um, job at Study Abroad? I'm a peer advisor for the Office of Study Abroad. Basically I work with students who have questions. They want to study abroad and they don't know where they want to go or how they're going to make it fit with their major, that sort of thing. So people come in to me and I advise them about how to make it fit, how to, you know, get to go where the, it, where in the world they wanted to go. Um, and just in general, I direct them to the person who could best answer any questions about classes and that sort of thing. Um, also, I do a lot of outreach things on campus. I give presentations at residence halls and at the um, AOP that we have here and I also work the Study Abroad Fair, that kind of thing. So lots of different campus events. So tell me a little bit about the Study Abroad Fair that's coming up soon. Um, the Study Abroad Fair is basically a, um, a big fair we put on in the union every year, twice a year. And it's got all the, um, the faculty leaders from almost all of our programs that we have go, and they have a table set up. And so students can actually go, they can look around and see what types of programs we have, and then if they're interested in a specific program, they can meet with the faculty leader, discuss it, find out about, you know, housing or the classes that you could take and ask any specific questions that they have. And it's also a great time to find out information um, about how to get passports and that sort of thing as well, so... It's a good resource for students. I also heard that people will be there to help assist with passporting, like um, taking pictures, stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. We have people that, um, we have passport photos that we do at a reduced, um, it, we do it for students, um, so it's a better way to not having to go to a post office or something like that. And also, um, we do passport processing, so... So what do students need to bring in order to go through those steps to help get their passport at the actual study abroad fair? Um, it's just some forms that they have to fill out about with the, their personal information and that sort of thing so that they can get it processed, but the photo that we'll take care of there and that sort of thing, so not really, they don't need to have a bunch of forms or anything. Okay. Now, when and where is the study abroad fair? It is in the Union from 12 to 6. This Thursday is on the second floor. It takes up the entire second floor. It's very hard to miss. Oh, wow. And so I was looking online for a little bit, and there was this coupon for, um, like gifts and stuff like that, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. What are, are there any other events that are going on? To um, well, we have a lot of things that we give away for students. Um, we have T-shirts, that kind of thing. So it's really fun to go there and see all the different things that the Austin City Bread has. And then um, we have a table for City Abroad returnees, so they can discuss their experiences and that sort of thing. We have a photo contest every year, so it's a good way to find out about that. Um, so I get it, all students, whether they're just starting to plan their City Abroad experience or they've already come back or any stage in the middle of that, it's a really, really great resource for them. Now, have you done Study Abroad before? I have. I've studied abroad three times, actually. Where'd you go? Um, I went on a freshman seminar in Dublin, Ireland. I took a 
two-credit class there this um, summer before my freshman year here, actually. So I started studying abroad before I actually came to campus. Um, and then in the summer of 2007, I went on the International Relations Program in Brussels for one month. And so I studied in Belgium. I studied um, NATO and the European Union. And those were two classes I needed for my major to graduate anyway. So it was a really great way to take those classes and actually get to see the places that I was studying. And then this past summer, I did an internship in Paris for three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So freshman sem- seminars, are they basically just study abroad, but for people that are incoming freshmen? Is, it, is there anything different between freshman seminars and study abroad? Um, no, freshman seminars are designed to be in um, study abroad experience for just incoming freshmen, like sort of an initial experience for studying abroad. They're um, one to two week programs usually, um, and we keep expanding the countries that they're in every year. Um, so students can go for two weeks, they take a two credit class, they learn about a different culture, and they meet a whole bunch of incoming freshmen before they even get to Michigan State. So it's a great way to make friends and just learn a lot before you even start here. So I hear that there's going to be about um, 100, is there going to be about 100 booths at the study abroad fair? And I heard that we have up to 260 different programs. Is that correct? That is correct. The, the study abroad fair is huge. We have at least 100, I would say, um, booths there with all the different faculty leaders, all the different programs, all the colleges here at Michigan State will be represented. And we do have over 260 programs now. It kind of fluctuates every year, so I can't give you the exact number, but mm-hmm. definitely it's a lot of programs, and we just keep trying to increase the size so that every student can study abroad. What do you think is the most popular program at state for study abroad? Oh, geez, that's so hard. I know um, a lot of programs in the United Kingdom are very popular because it's an English-speaking country, so there's not a language barrier, which is difficult for some students. I know um, I've worked closely with people who have been the faculty leaders for the John Cabot University program in Rome, and they always just get so many people applying for that program. I don't know. Some of the programs have different amounts of of people they accept. So a program might only accept five people but get 20 applicants or something, and some are more competitive than others, but definitely we have some that are very, very popular. Now, you mentioned language. Is there a requirement for people to know a language if they're going to a country um, that doesn't speak English primarily? Um, It depends on the program. Some of the programs do require that you have some um, language skills before you go there. For example, my internship that I did in Paris I required that I had at least 300 level French classes because I was going to be working in a French workplace. I needed to speak French all day long with my colleagues, my boss, be able to read and write in French, all of that. Um, however, in the program I went to in Belgium, my classes were taught by an MSU professor. They were all in English. And so even though Brussels is a French-speaking city, we didn't need to know any French. And most students generally find that they can get along if they don't have a base knowledge of the language um, of the country that they're studying in. But it's generally good to have at least to know a little bit, I think, before you go to that country, just basic how to order food, how to say hello, politeness, so that you can get around. Now, MSU is really well known for a study abroad program, and my mom went here years ago, and she said one of her friends had done, had gotten a degree from MSU, 
but spent her entire time in Japan. She never actually stepped foot on MSU's campus the whole time she was studying abroad. Is that possible? I wish I could do that. Um, I know students who have studied abroad five of their semesters here, so I have not met anyone that has not ever set foot on MSU's campus, but I would say definitely if you plan ahead, if it's something that you really want to do, then it would be possible, actually, I think. But um, I know people who have studied abroad. I've studied abroad three times. I have friends who have studied abroad more than that. So it just takes a lot of planning, I would say. Now, I assume there's a lot of variety in the different programs, the different classes you can take. But let's say someone's like, you know, I want to go to this country and specifically learn this from, let's say, this professor from this university. Is there a way for people to kind of create their own study abroad programs? Um, yes and no. That's one of the hardest things that I think I run into as an advisor is you get students who have very specific goals for their study abroad program. They want to go to this, you know, they want to go to Italy, they want to study this, and they want to take this class exactly, and then it becomes a little bit more complicated. Basically, what we let them do, they it's hard for students to create their own study abroad programs, per se, but if they find a program through a different university that they're interested in doing, we usually will work with them to help them go on that university study abroad program. And also, we have a lot of study abroad programs that are run through other universities. So, like I said, the John Cabot University in Rome is a full university, and so they offer a very wide range of classes. And most students that need very specific courses find that the going to a different college um, and taking classes through that university in a different country allows them a lot more leeway. Okay. Now, what... Um just to list off a few, what countries do you think are going to be at the study abroad fair on Thursday? Oh, geez. Um, we have programs in every single continent. So we'll have the United Kingdom, we'll have France, we'll have Australia, we will have Japan and China and South Africa and Egypt and Antarctica and the Arctic mm-hmm. and Mexico and Ecuador. I mean, we will have countries on every single continent and a very wide range of those. So Now, when people study abroad, what, where do they usually stay? Do they do homestays? Do they stay in hotels? or Again, it completely depends on the program. Um, some programs, especially ones that run in the summer, are traveling programs where you go to you know, maybe France, the United Kingdom, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Spain all in a five-week period or something. And usually those students stay in hotels because it's just easier to get around that way. Um, this past summer when I was in France, I did a homestay. I stayed with a French couple in Paris. So, um, And that, I felt like, was a very good cultural experience. But we also have students that live in dorms at a different university, and we have students that live in apartments um, either with roommates or independently um, in the, their country that they're staying in also. And what's the range of, like, program length? Can they be as short as two weeks but as long as a... F- a full year? Yes. Um, the freshman seminars abroad that we have are only two weeks. Um, we also have spring and winter break programs that range from one to two weeks. And then we have programs for a full semester or for a full academic year, if that's what you're looking to do. It just depends on the level of cultural immersion that you'd like and how, um, you know, how long you're looking to stay in that particular country. So. Now, my next question is something that I debated about when I was doing study abroad this past summer. I noticed in my study abroad trip, females outweighed males by a lot. There was two guys, probably 
eight girls. And I notice on the t- statistics that females um, participate or outdo males by 30% or 29%. Um, there are, for girls, there's about 64.5% that participate, and guys, it's only 35.5. Why do you think it is that females participate and study abroad more so than males do? I actually have no idea. Um, I can say that on one of my programs, the one in Brussels, Belgium, there is definitely, I think, almost an equal amount of males as females, so that kind of outweighs it. But then in Paris, there were five girls and only one guy, so I don't know. Um, I think maybe it might depend a little bit on where you go on the study abroad program um, or the major, maybe if it's an engineering study abroad program, that tends to be a more male-dominated field, so there might be a larger proportion of males there, but I don't know why, in general, more females choose to study abroad than males. Mm-hmm. Now, um, let's say there is an emergency abroad. Um, what does study abroad do to make sure that people aren't sent to a country um, that may be of a health risk or just isn't, isn't very safe? Um, and what happens if, let's say, something happens while somebody's abroad? Um, well, there are, we have um, staff in the Office of Study Abroad who their entire job is to watch out for the um, safety and security of students on study abroad programs. So any country that's having you know, some amount of political upheaval or problems with violence, generally we won't even approve study abroad programs to go there. Um, and if something is to occur, like a war is to break out or something, while a student, while there is a study abroad program taking place, a lot of times the Office of Study Abroad will choose, along with working with the university as a whole, to maybe cancel that program or enact more um, safety measures in that program. Now, also, they have a 24-hour hotline here at Michigan State that goes directly to the MSU police station and then that forwards on to the office study abroad in case there's an emergency and the student gets into trouble. So um, we'll be notified almost instantaneously if something occurs and a student really needs help. Also, we provide health insurance to every student who studies abroad, and it's very good health insurance that pays for um, if, you know, a student becomes very, very sick, a parent to go over and be with that child, something like that. So we really try to make sure that that won't be a concern either. Um, So basically there are people working around the clock to make sure that these programs are safe, remain safe, that all the students on there are, you know, having fun and learning and not running into many problems. Um, So I know that's a big concern of a lot of people when they're trying to decide whether or not they should study abroad, but we really do our best to make sure that there are very, very few issues. Has there ever been a study abroad group where the trip had to be canceled or students had to be sent back? Um, I believe that during the um, the summer of 2006 when there was the war between Israel and Lebanon, mm-hmm. um, I believe that the Office of Study Abroad canceled that program and I know that the Israel programs were on hold for the next year. They did not send any students to Israel. So. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Again, I'm with Sarah from the Office of Study Abroad. She's here. She was here to talk about the Study Abroad Fair on September 25th from noon until 6 p.m. at the MSU Union on the second floor. You're listening to Impact Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. 
At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. You're listening to Impact Exposure. I'm here with Farhan and Hazem from the Islamic Medical Students Association to talk about a presentation they're doing on September 25th about the medical benefits of fasting. Now we are in the month of Ramadan. Is there... For those who may not know what, what Ramadan is, can you give us kind of a historical um, explanation of it? Actually, well, the month of Ramadan is uh, a month in which uh, the Qur'an, which is the holy book for the Muslims, was first revealed. So the beginning of the revelation began in that month. Um, and in, in this month, uh, Muslims are commanded to, to fast from dawn to sunset. And so we abstain from uh, food, drink, you know, smoking, anything like that. And and then the, and the purpose of the month really is, in a nutshell, is really to to help help us get more conscious of God, um, to kind of increase our faith in Him and 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 our, our level of righteousness. We're encouraged to do a lot of good deeds, charity, um, and things like that. Okay, so um, why is it that along with food, um, eliminating food and drink during the day, why smoking as well? That's well considered part of. I mean, uh, uh, anything that 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 could be like, I guess, damaging towards your body and your health. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're actually encouraged not to smoke in general, you know, mm-hmm. outside, even when you're not fasting at all. Um, so that could be considered being taken in, inside your body. So anything that's that's ingested or whatnot, you don't want to you don't want to take at all. And why from dawn to sunset to fast? Um. It's kind of just it was that was the uh, tradition of the Prophet uh, Muhammad. Um, it was kind of like it was revealed that way. That was the rule of it. Um, there's actually a prayer that we do on a daily basis, you know, in Ramadan, outside of Ramadan. Um, one that happens at dawn, one that happens at sunset. So it's kind of like that you can eat and drink uh, until it's time for that prayer, and then you know you fast until it's time for the sunset prayer. Um, so that's kind of like the the two borders, um, you know, that of the, of delineating the fasting of the daytime. Mm-hmm. And so I'm interested because your program that you'll be doing is the medical benefits of fasting. What will you be talking about? Um, well, it's actually kind of a broad array of subjects. Um, most people don't really associate not eating and drinking with some sort of health benefit. Right. Um, but there kind of are. There's, you know, things like, you know, controlling uh, blood sugar levels and um, even things like, you know, the fact that saliva is allowed to stay in the mouth and protect the teeth, um, things that most people wouldn't think of. Um, so there's actually a lot of things um, like medically, physiologically, that happen when the body doesn't get a chance to um, get any nutrients. Um, obviously, if this happens over a long period of time, you start hunger and starvation, that's a bad thing. But if it's a controlled amount of time, there's actually um, a number of benefits uh, that can happen. So how many days do you fast for? Um, it's actually one lunar month, like okay. the month of Ramadan. Um, 
the entire Islamic calendar is on a lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. And so the month of Ramadan is basically just one you know, month's uh, cycle of the moon. Um, so it's usually 29 or 30 days. Okay. Um, now, what else does the Islamic Medical Students Association do? Oh, well, our, 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 our goal and our mission is really um, uh, has a few prongs. One is um, for all the Muslim students who come into to either COM or CHM, the College of Osteopathic Medicine or, or Human Medicine, it's kind of an organization for them to get to, to get together, to get to know each other. And then with that, we want to we wanna use uh, the IMSA as a platform to kind of teach the, the, the medical communities about, you know, the Muslim faith and um, get to know each other better so that we can bridge gaps of perhaps misunderstanding or misconceptions and, um, and then ultimately lead towards service, either towards, you know, the, the MSU community as well as the greater Lansing community. And so we're working on, you know, starting a charity clinic. That's one of our, our goals for this, for this year. Um, we're working with some of the local doctors in, in Lansing as well. And, um, and, and, and so service is a big part of what we're trying to do as well. Okay. Um, and who are you expecting to come to this event? Is it just, um, do you expect people from all religions to come, or? Yeah, uh, we, we do. Um, and we're, we're, the target audience is, you know, the, the graduate students, you know, in mm-hmm. the medical fields. But also it's open to undergraduate students, and I think there's, there's, there's some expected to come as well. They made a Facebook event and Facebook group, and so some people are coming from undergraduate uh, MSU as well. Um, but yeah, people of all walks of life, really. And I also heard there's going to be a can drive. What's the significance of that to the program you're doing? Yeah. Okay. So the, the kind of the theme for the fastathon idea idea is is one of go hung, go hungry so someone else doesn't have to. And so we're asking mm-hmm. people to fast for the day, although it's not required. They don't have to. And um, uh, what we're doing is we're asking people to also bring a can can good or a monetary amount equal to the can good, and 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 uh, we're going to be uh, donating towards um, those can the, the the canned food and whatnot towards um, uh, Hurricane Ike victims. So, okay. so the idea is, you know, we're going, we're going hungry for a day. We're going to feel what hungry people feel every day, and with that, we're hoping to, you know, entice people more to to bring something to help to help out those who are less less fortunate. All right, and then at the end, I heard that you're also do, serving dinner right after sunset as well. Yes, so the people who do fast, they they're going to have a nice meal. Okay, um, now how many MSU students do you think are fasting during Ramadan? Uh, well, it's it's for Muslim students. I, I was I came here for undergrad, and I was the president of the Muslim Student Association in undergrad um, in 2005, 2006. And what I've been what what I've been able to gather is about a thousand Muslim students here. Um, uh, and then, so you would you would you would assume that you know they would be fasting. So basically, Muslim students on campus. Mm-hmm. So. What I'm thinking about, how, when you, you guys can't eat from dawn till sunset, and then I'm thinking about the cafeteria food that they put out after sunset, which is just like pizza and just really bad food for you. I mean, once you guys can eat, are there certain foods that you're not allowed to eat? Or um, I mean, that just seems crazy for the people who are living in the dorms because all they're going to end up eating is pizza for the whole month. <laughs> Yeah, it's just um, there's no like like added restriction. It's just whatever like whatever we normally eat um, outside of Ramadan. It's you know the same the same rules apply. Um, obviously, it's as you said, you know from a from a health standpoint, better to avoid foods that are overly you know um, high in fat or cholesterol things like that. But I mean whatever whatever is normally um, considered prohibited in the faith is you know it's the same. Now, are there any other celebrations that ha- that happen during the month of Ramadan? Um, well, during the month itself, it's mostly like kind of a month of worship and piety. Um, but actually, the the first day of the next month, which is the month is called Shawwal, uh, the first day of that next month is actually um, it's a holiday called Eid al-Fitr, which means like the the holiday of you know breaking fast. 
Um, and that's actually a day where you're not allowed to fast. So it's a day you're supposed to celebrate and, you know, visit friends and family and um, eat and kind of like, you know, celebrate the, the like, you know, the, the acts of worship that you did during the month of Ramadan and kind of use it as, as a, you know, a way to like re-energize yourself so that, you know, to continue that high level of righteousness throughout the other months of the year. And do you guys practice fasting? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And uh, we we try to do it outside of the month of Ramadan as well. Mm-hmm. It's um it's just encouraged. You know, the more you do it, again, the purpose is to get to get um uh closer to God. You know, and kind of in- increase your your righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I heard um that pregnant women are not encouraged to fast, but um because they can't fast during Ramadan because they're pregnant, they are supposed to make up for those days afterwards. Um, who else isn't encouraged to fast? Um, yeah, it goes to, to, to pregnant women. Um, also, if anybody's sick or they're traveling, basically if they're going to be in a difficulty, if fasting is going to be actually detrimental to, towards their health, then they're encouraged to, they make up the days like you said, and they're encouraged to actually feed a poor person who, uh, a needy person, and give him basically a meal for the day. So that's how you kind of make it up. Um, so if, if anybody's sick or traveling as well, those are the two general categories. Yeah, or even like children who are um, kind of like too young or somebody who's like elderly and just it's just too much of a you know risk for their health to not eat during the day. Um, they don't have to fast. Okay. And when and where is this event? Um, the event is actually um, the, the the talk tomorrow is actually tomorrow evening, um, which is Wednesday, um, September twenty fourth. It'll be in Fee Hall, which is basically the you know, building where the medical school is, where the, where the College of Osteopathic Medicine is. Um, it'll be about six thirty in the evening tomorrow night. Um, and we first we'll have the speech talk, uh, the talk called uh, the medical benefits of fasting, and then after that we'll follow up with the dinner. How long do you think the speech will be? Probably about only half an hour. Okay. Um, not really more. Maybe with question and answer, maybe another ten minutes on top of that. All right. Uh, and where can people go for more information? Um, to be honest, the website is kind of down. So at this point, um, there's really just some emails uh, that are kind of circulating. Um, there's also a, there's on on Facebook actually. There's more information. There's been like a user group made especially for the event. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And again, I'm with Farhan and Azem from the Islamic Medical Students Association who are holding an event on September 25th at 6.30 p.m. Um, on the medical benefits of fasting. On the 24th. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure. You are listening to Impact Exposure. I'm here with Christy from University Relations to talk about the year of art and culture. 
Now, this is an initiative that Luana K. Simon put up. Why, why is it that we wanted to dedicate a whole year to art and culture? Well, Emily, because we're such a, a rich school, uh, when it comes to arts and culture-related events on campus and the opportunities that we offer students, um, it just seemed natural to kind of boost that and to uh, make sure that everyone knew what opportunities were available to them, whether it's actually participating in them or going to visit any kind of a concert or an exhibit or something along those lines. And I also heard that um, the arts and culture can actually bring an economic boost. Um, it's I read that um, one study found that the state's arts and cultural activities employed more than um, 108,000 people and generated $1.9 billion in income. Is that something that you're familiar with? Do you think that's true? Oh, well, I can believe it just because um, when it comes to arts and culture-related events, there's so much room for freedom and creativity, um, whether you're in the audience or you're actually the artist. So I can definitely see how a statistic like that would pop up just because these kinds of events are so popular, especially around our campus. Now, what is what was your job in the Year of Arts and Culture? Well, I'm actually, I've, I've, ra- I've helped wrap up the Year of Arts and Culture. Um, now we're just focusing on more of a, a global international theme um, on campus here. And my job is I'm the Arts and Culture Student Writer for University Relations um, and Media Communications. So what I do is just go to different events, and I, you know, I write for uh, MSC News Bulletin, which is our uh, internal faculty and staff publication. So for those who aren't as familiar with the Year of Arts and Cultures, what went on specifically? What kind of, um, are there, were there events or? Oh, there were tons of events. Um, President Simon really publicized it and it, it was, uh, everything that was MSU Arts and Culture came to the forefront, which was really nice to get some recognition, um, because usually stuff like that doesn't. It's mostly, um, athletics and I'm a big sports fan, huge mm-hmm. sports fan, but it's nice to see people who, uh, don't normally get recognized, get the recognition they deserve. Mm-hmm. And I went to the website, it's artsandculture.msu.edu, and I was amazed with how much stuff they had, from all the clubs on campuses and organizations, to events, to resources. Um, I just think that was amazing, and was that all started in the past year? Yeah, yep, that's a project that's really taken off, um, especially through the Year of Arts and Culture Initiative. Uh, my job is to make sure that the news and events are constantly up to date, so... Um, hopefully we're doing that. So. Right. And so was the One Book, One Community um, thing, was that a part of the Year of Arts and Culture? No, I believe that's an East Lansing community okay. thing. But that's definitely something that we would tie into here on campus. Okay. Now, how do you think um, this initiative has helped the East Lansing community? Well, um, a lot of uh, interdepartmental um, places here on campus are trying to work together to um, strengthen the ties um, among the groups here at MSU, one of the ways they're doing that, the theater department is actually doing this program called Creative Connections, which is a wonderful idea. Uh, their students who are in different plays and musicals throughout the year are actually working with other departments to learn about the history behind um, each play. Um, for instance, Cabaret is coming up um, October 14th through the 19th at Fairchild Theater, and I actually had the chance to sit in on the class right before they started to... Uh, Rehearse. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and um, they had the uh, German department come in and teach them about post-World War I, oh, okay. pre-World War II, mm-hmm. and um, the the history behind Nazism. And it really it was a really neat inter- interaction to see between the students and this professor from an, another uh, another department, just so they could understand their play better. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Because I'm in, I was in plays and all that stuff when I was younger, and it was just so often you'd you'd be in the show and, like, let's say I was in Fiddler on the Roof, and I had to do something that had to do with like, you know, the Jewish religion, and people would be like, yeah, I'm not really sure what that's about. And I'm like, okay, I'm on stage, I'm gonna offend someone, so I think that that's great that <laughs> that they they educate people about that. Um, so where do you think arts and culture is heading in East Lansing? Do you think that after this year, people are going to put on more events or the community is going to be more connected with that? Where do you think it's I heading? I definitely think that it's, he- it's strengthening its ties um, just because Well right now is actually playing. Um, Lisa Cron is, uh, is a Lansing native, and she has this play that's actually at the Auditorium Marina Theater. And um, it's already been playing, but it took a break, and it's going to start uh, back up September 24th through the 28th. And what's really nice about that is the whole um, synopsis behind it, it's dealing with a family in the Lansing community, which is nice. So it ties in someone down the road, brings them here, which is great, because mm-hmm. it's it's the detachment between MSU and Michigan Avenue is quite big. So it's nice to see that bridge being gapped. Right. So what are some more events that are coming up in the next few weeks that people can kind of um, keep in their mind? Well, uh, MSU Museum is having Our Our Journeys, Our Stories, um, Portraits of Latino Achievement, and that's actually a Smithsonian traveling exhibit, and it's showcasing 24 individuals um, as well as one extended family, and it's portraits and their stories. And what's really neat about that, um, individuals like Derek Parra, who's uh, an Olympic medalist, as well as Rebecca Lobo, who's an athlete, Mm -hmm. um, it's... You go to the MSU Museum, take a look at it. It seems like it's a really nice, nice exhibit that's going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's also um, an exhibit at the Kresge Art Museum that's coming up, and there's going to be a discussion. Yeah, it is the Great Lakes Artists from 1910 through 1960, and it's supposed to showcase a lot of uh, artists um, from all over the Midwest. So to bring local talent up here and kind of expose that is really kind of a neat way for students to learn um, about local art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear that you're um, also putting up information on Facebook and Twitter.com. Is that yes, correct? Yes, yeah. Um, so what what is Twitter.com? I'm a little unfamiliar with that. Twitter is a way for people to kind of communicate. It's 140 characters that you're allowed, mm-hmm. and it's it's almost an away message. You can text from your phone. You can... Um, go on different websites. You can actually hook it up to your Facebook and do it. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really easy way. If there are lectures in between times where, you know, news bulletin comes out or we can't get stuff up online right away, um, we created the website. It's uh, twitter.com slash msuarts. And um, it's a really neat way to find out if there's a lecture, if there's an event coming on. We can link it to something else. Um, it's it's a quick hit type uh, website. So it's kind of nice. Oh, cool. So what do you think was the most successful um, event this past year regarding arts and culture? Oh, man, there were so many. I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can narrow it down to just one. How about three? Oh, <laughs> I don't even know if I can do that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so when did, when did um, the year of arts and culture begin? Was it at the beginning of the um, year last year? Yes. Okay. Um, and then it just finished up. When? Just last month, I want to say. Last month? Okay. Um, And um, describe more this, the Kresge Art Museum, or exhibit that's going on right now. Um, Well, it's supposed to be showcasing Great Lakes artists, and to be completely honest, I haven't had a chance to go over there and take a look at it yet. Okay. Um, But if you visit Arts and 
culture.msu.edu, there is more information up there about it. So Okay. Um, and I'm also surprised because um, the arts especially is usually last on the list for funding and support. Um, but we've had um, so much support this year, um, I guess, um, that's that's rare. Um, and do you think um, that the community is going to continue that support? I definitely think so. Um, I think it's a matter of, of people who are very interested in this type of field, getting their faces out there, getting their work recognized, getting it known, and just piquing people's interest. Um, because a lot of times I don't think people are aware of what's available on campus, and just to have this artsandculture.msu.edu website as well as the Twitter and the Facebook group and any other way that we can reach people, um, I don't see why support would stop or slow down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also a lot of stuff that's going on with the um, residential, residential College of Arts and Letters. You know about a lot of those events that are coming up, I believe, this month. Yeah, they actually have one... Um, that's going to be at the uh, Lookout Gallery in Snyder Hall. It's called Islamic Manuscripts of Tombuktu Photography. And it's um, they're going to have an, a visiting artist in residence during the exhibit. Um, Professor David Cooper's Fall 2008 Photography Workshop is also going to be taking place. And it's just a neat opportunity to take part in this different culture. Okay. Um, and is there going to be another theme for next year? You know what? I'm not sure if there is one. The The only thing that we're sticking with right now is just global and international focuses. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And I was I was um, really interested in the website. Um, they had so many different links that you could go to. There was a music link, a dance, multimedia and film, theater, visual arts, museums and collections and humanities. Um, what do you think um, got the most showcased last year out of all of those categories? I would say... Probably a tie between music and uh, visual arts, mm-hmm. just because of all the plays and musicals at Wharton Center, at um, the Auditorium. Um, I think those are two of the most popular types of art and culture, mm-hmm. um, just because they can attract such a wide audience. Okay, and um, as your um, did you have to as your job did you have to focus on one specifically, or just you had to write about a lot of the other? I'm all over. Oh. I'm all over the place. I cover um, everything just because there's this interdepartmental um, kind of a focus now. I'm all over the place. I can cover something in the residential college. I can cover something over at MSU Museum at Kresge. Anywhere that you see arts and culture, will be there. Mm-hmm. And what's the best part about your job? Best part about my job. Well, I get to work with the wonderful and lovely people at University Relations. Mm-hmm. And um, just the experience, I'm not a very arts and culture-minded person, so to be open to this experience and to see what's available on campus really kind of opened my eyes to my experience here at MSU. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of nice to see what my fellow students and, and uh, what um, the people who are teaching us are actually showcasing and, and to see their skills. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you'd want to do this coming year as well? Oh, yeah, I think it'd be a blast. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, um, while we don't have a theme this year, um, do you think that there's going to be more years that are dedicated to a specific subject from here on out? Well, I don't know if we'd say we don't have a theme, just because it's right. it's not it's no longer the year of arts and culture, mm-hmm. but the theme for arts and culture right now, I know it's a little confusing, but um, it's just the international uh, stage, so anything mm-hmm. global. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Again, um, I was with Christy from University Relations to talk about the Year of Arts and Culture. Um, For more information, you can go to artsandculture.msu.edu. You're listening to Exposure on 88.5 
9, The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893 and now, back to Exposure. You're listening to 88.9 The Impact. Impact Exposure. I'm here with Lori from the Waldemar Nature Center to talk about the American Heritage Festival coming up this weekend. Um, so I'm a little unfamiliar with the Waldemar Nature Center. Um, what, what and where is it? Well, thank you. I love talking about Waldemar. It's my passion as well as my profession. And I will tell you that it's about five miles west of here. So it's on um, Old Lansing Road. So if you actually, if you take uh, Mount Hope straight west until it dead ends into Waverly Road and then turn left on the next street, you can't miss us. So it's five miles west of here. It's close enough for all of the MSU students to get to. And it is an old dairy farm that was converted in the 60s to become an environmental education facility. And for 40 years, with private funds, we've been teaching all about uh, the environment, primarily to children, but really to people of all ages. We have 150 acres of land. And we do uh, almost everything that we do with volunteers. So we maintain the property, we maintain the buildings, and we educate people all through volunteerism and a very tiny staff. So that's what we do 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We want people outdoors, on the trails, um, and learning about the environment. So what? So you said you have trails there. What other things um, draw people there? Well, our programs primarily, um, the really the two things are the trails and our programs. And we have a wonderful school program that we do for twelve, um, four to twelve year olds, and that's where we have curriculum specific programming. And that means that all of the programs, all of the words that we say, all of the content of the material of the programs, is designed for teachers to be able to um, reinforce the concept that they're learning. They're teaching the uh, children in the classrooms. And so we see about um, 23,000 school children a year. We see about 40,000 people a year. Um, and everybody comes out either for the programs, to walk the trails, or come to our events like the one coming up this weekend. Now talk a little bit more about or talk about the event that's coming up this weekend. This is one of our premier events. Woldemar does three major events a year, and the fall is all about harvest time, pioneer living, and our cultural heritage. And so this particular weekend is um, everything revolving around the 1800s in mid-Michigan. We're very thematic. We're very careful about the demonstrators and the exhibitors, living history, and everything on the stage. It has to be thematic to that event. 
So you can come out and you can see um, old-time hair braiding, uh, which most people have never seen before. You can have a horse-drawn wagon ride. You can see potters and um, blacksmiths. You can visit the log cabin and talk to our docents who are dressed in period clothing and talking about the, um, the moon log cabin. You can get out on the Grand River and do a pontoon boat ride. And, when, and that's where you get actually um, learning about uh, how the river was used in the 1800s in mid-Michigan, which is quite mm. fascinating. And then we have an incredible stage lineup. All day long, we have great old-time music uh, going on on the, uh, front, uh, cab- the front porch of the log cabin, which is fabulous. And then we also have a wonderful concert that WLNZ is putting on on Saturday night, and that is two great performers who are coming out. So it's a really, really well-rounded weekend where whoever comes out, you, you'll be guaranteed of having fun somewhere along the line. So we say if a three-year-old were to come out with their teenager, with a college-age student, with their grandparents, everyone would find something that they enjoyed and had a good time and maybe even learned a little bit about. Right. So what age group do you usually see coming out to these events normally? Um, we have a lot of, um, actually all ages, it's quite amazing. We have a lot of uh, uh, I would say I call college-age kids. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of families who come out with young children, but we also have um, families with teenagers and families who bring their uh, parents with them. So we've got a lot of elderly. It's a very wide range of, of ages. And one of the things that I particularly am proud of with Woldemar events is that it's not elbow to elbow and just where you, you walk away more stressed than when you came. Mm-hmm. Um, because our property is so large and we use it so well, you can have 500 people on our property and you really don't know it because there's people in the prairie and there's people walking the trails and there's people out on the river and there's people in the cabin. And you you really just have a peaceful journey with all these wonderful crafters and demonstrators and living history going on. It's really, really a nice experience. Um, so um, when when is the concert that you're talking about that's, that goes along with this American Heritage Festival? Um, is it, What time is it and what type of music is playing? Well, let me say first that the, the festival itself goes from 10 until 4, both Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday evening, starting at 7 o'clock, there is a special concert that's put on by WLNZ, and we're going to see Jamie Sue Seal and the Truck Stop Cobras. And they've done several concerts for us in the past, and every time the entertainers are fabulous. And I am well assured that this is going to be a concert that you're not going to want to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, other events that I saw on the website was... Um, apple cider pressing or blacksmithing or lace making and wagon rides. Will that be happening as well? All day long from 10 until 4 both days. It's really a collection of things that you stop and you pay attention and then you go on to the next activity and you stop and you pay, because you can't help it. It's just the people are interested in your learning about what they're doing and by the time you get done with the, the whole day, you can't believe the time has passed by and you've learned a lot, but you've had a whole lot of fun in the process. Mm-hmm. So I know like some towns have like Victorian days and I think it's really interesting to revert back to an older culture and just kind of spend the day 
reliving it, you know, interacting with people. Um, why do you think events like that are so important? Well, I think in this particular case, number one, I think people like to be together and do something fun that doesn't always um, involve technology. Right. <laughs> so it's really kind of a nice thing to be able to get outdoors, especially in at this time of year when it's absolutely gorgeous, the colors are changing. So that's one of the reasons that I think that people really, really enjoy coming out to this event. But I think a lot of people want to get um, acclimated to their, their past. And you, we all are so transient today. We move from location to location. We sort of lose this sense of, of um, place with the earth. Mm-hmm. And doing an event like this helps you understand what it was like 100 years ago. Where did that tree come from, and why is there this open space, and what, why is the river the way that it is? And so I think it really helps us connect with the earth, but with more purpose than that. Mm-hmm. I think that it really helps us find our place in our community with wherever we are right then at that moment and then because you find that sense of place you you find the ability to care about it just a little bit more and that is what Waldemar is all about oh that's great so um all the workers then do they have to be trained in a lot of this history um or have to take classes or something like that so they can have all that knowledge so if anyone has to ask them a question they can answer it it's a wonderful question actually um, a lot of the people that are there have been doing this for a long time it's all volunteer based there are no 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 one is paid to do this activity and that's what makes it even more special so when you're interacting with the people they have had a long time to get accustomed to their particular um, specialty whatever it is and so they can talk to you a lot about it if you wanted to come and join in with the volunteer stuff we pretty much throw you in there mm-hmm. but you you learn as you're working alongside some people who are um, have, have uh, learned how to do this very very well and because of that you pick it up or, really quickly. And so we don't really have classes that teach you how to do it. Most of what you do is by it's pretty much indoctrination by fire. But um, most of our volunteers walk away saying, I can't wait till next time. So mm-hmm. that's a really nice thing. That's great. So how can people find out um, to volunteer? Or where the, can people go? The very best um, and fastest way to get to us is by the website. And that's www.woldemar.org. And it's W O L. D-U-M-A-R. I say if you pronounce it Wold Dumar, <laughs> you pretty much will get. You can just Google Woldemar and you will get to our website. Once you're there, there's lots and lots of ways throughout the website to be able to get in touch with us. And there's even some information in there about volunteering um, so that you can get involved. A lot of the college students are coming out. And I would like to just say a really special thank you, if I could, because I have a feeling you've got some listeners out there that might be from the James Madison College. Mm, okay. They just came out, and for year after year, James Madison has been coming out and helping us do some of the more major um, grounds and facilities projects. And again, this year, they blew the doors off. They helped us with a garden that is completely volunteer-based, and we really needed some big help with it. And they came in, and in the extreme heat, helped to make our garden grow. And so we're really appreciative from James Madison. We also just had the MSU Landscape Architect Club come out. And, oh, my goodness, we have a new accessible trail that we will be able to open up very soon, and it's because of the hard work that they did to help make this trail uh, a real possibility for us. 
And then every year, Into the Streets comes out and joins us for a couple of activities. And I'll tell you what, they are a great group of people. You never hear a complaint from one of them. And we have hard jobs. Um, Volunteering is not easy at Woldemar because all of the work that we have to do is left to the volunteers. So it's very difficult work. And yet, never a complaint to be had. And then the other one I would say is thank you to MSU Recycling. And if you haven't been over there, head over there because it's really cool. But in the spring, um, MSU Recycling brings truckloads of all of the leftover wood from all of the dorm rooms. Oh, okay. And you don't think about that at this time of year, but um, we get probably five or six truckloads a year, and it is all of the construction material that we use for uh, for all of our um, docks and um, our bridges, for all of our construction projects and for our signage. And so we spend weeks, literally, with our volunteers breaking it all apart so we get all these wonderful 4x4s, 2x4s, 2x6s, you name it, we've got it. And we're able to keep Woldemar really, really in good shape and safe for all of the children and families and adults that are coming through our facility. So when I remember moving out of the dorms and just seeing that big recycled truck of like the loft wood. So that goes all of that goes directly to you guys then? To Woldemar and to many other of the agencies in town um, that are able to take it on. But it, you really have to thank MSU for working so hard to try to recycle as much as they are for such a large facility. And when you really care about recycling and what's going into the landfill, it makes a huge difference that they are trying so hard to reuse a lot of the things that would normally go into the landfill. Yeah, I'm just it's just a great concept to give it to not only recycle but to be giving it back to the community. I know also at the end of the year last year there was some place to put your carpet to give to a family or something, you know, when you're done with that for your dorm room and I just think that's a great idea. Um so is Another question is, is Waldemar open all year long? Another great question, because most people think that Waldemar is just a summertime place. It's not. You can go cross-country skiing. You can go um, uh, snowshoeing. Mm-hmm. in the wintertime, plus a winter hike on our trails is absolutely fabulous, and it's a very safe place to go. So um, y- what we say is that our trails are open dawn to dusk daily, and I do mean daily. Mm-hmm. So that means in the middle of winter, um, in the middle of summer, on that rainy day, when you think, oh, gee, where should I go? Check it out because it is an extremely beautiful facility. We have over five um, different ecosystems. That's very rare for a property of our size. And you can walk through a prairie. You can walk through a pine forest. You can walk through a beech maple forest and along a river. And I say most of the time you could actually blindfold yourself and be led through. And just because of the sounds and the smells, you would know where you were. There aren't very many places like that left in in Lansing anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I also heard that you guys have a theater as well. Mm -hmm. Do you guys put on productions there? Or is it a lot like, for example, the festival that's going on right now, um, it's for like the band to play and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. We actually have a fantastic barn that um, the uh, downtown Rotary Club of Lansing and all of the other clubs in Lansing and uh, numerous other agencies helped us to renovate a few years ago, and it leaves us with this fabulous theater upstairs. 
we welcome theater groups to come in and perform, and we only ask that our members, our Woldemar members, can uh, come and see the show as well. Um, but it's a fabulous facility, and a lot of the agencies that have come in and uh, done uh, plays or uh, music there have said that the acoustics inside of this barn are particularly lovely. I'd love to see more people involved in it, so I'm very hopeful that there'll be maybe some dance clubs that'll want to come in, mm-hmm. um, that maybe we'll have some bands that would like to play some good music in there, and that we get some good theater groups in. We, I am very privileged to be able to have um, Icarus Falling joining us this uh, season in October, and so we'll be back in the swing of doing theater productions again this year. And then I also know that the All of Us Children's Express Theater in the mm-hmm. spring will be coming out to do some things for us. Okay, that's great. Um, so um, you mentioned that a lot of there's a lot of kids programs that go on um, throughout the year, um, and I also read that you have programs like let's say um, teaching um, like more like older audience about like herbs and stuff like that. What other mm-hmm. what other programs do you have throughout the year? We have um, during the school we we go in two seasons. We, I say um, the some the school year season is when we're primarily seeing uh, school age children, mm-hmm. and we're doing programs that are um, as I had mentioned earlier impacting um, the MEEP scores, making sure that we're reinforcing the classroom visits. So while all of that is going on, we're also doing a lot of programming for uh, the adult audiences and for older people, and those programs are gardening programs. Um, we'll be doing um, an owl prowl, which is a fabulous program. We do luminary hikes, um, solstice activities. Um, there are um, blacksmithings. Um, you can come out now once a month on the third Saturday of the month and uh, and see all kinds of crafters and demonstrators, but our blacksmiths have actually stepped together and said that from now on, on the third Saturday of the month, you can come out and one of them will be um, entertaining us, <laughs> but also showing us um, the art of blacksmithing, which is a very cool thing. And then um, in the springtime and in the early summer, we're beginning to do some wonderful programs on the gardens, and that's what we started this last year with some volunteers, and I'm sure that they're going to be doing way more of that in the years in the uh, year to come. So the best way to find out what programs are coming up is to head to the website, and again, volunteer-based, but our website is updated by some wonderful volunteers, and that's where you can get the most current um, program information. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Again, I'm here with Loy from the Waldemar Nature Center, um, and she was here to talk about the American Heritage Festival, which is going on this weekend. For more information, you can go to www.waldemar.org. You're listening to Impact 89FM, Impact Exposure. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9, The Impact.